Are you gonna bark all day, little doggy, or are you gonna bite? Hello there, and a tepidly optimistic new year to all of you. You are back for an, the first episode of the Hyperbat Reviews of this year with your two hosts, Mr. Pink and Mr. Brown, but we'll let you decide which one's which. It's Fred Rowland, JT. <laughs> yeah, I, I won't go there. Um, we'll let you decide there. Yeah, Happy New Year, everyone. It's our first one of 2023, and as Fred Roll says, hopefully it may be a better year than last year. I mean, last year has had its ups and downs, but we'll see where we go with this one. And this year we're kind of looking at a bit of a, a classic, I guess. Um, and what are we looking at then, Bread Roll, if you haven't already looked at the thumbnail? Yeah, for those who haven't looked at the thumbnail, um, we are doing Reservoir Dogs, which I believe was the first Tarantino movie, the first one he directed anyway. Obviously, we touched on a couple of movies that he'd um, been on the pen for previously. Uh, but this is his first uh, proper movie. It came out uh, October the 9th, 1992, and that's its full release. And it runs for 99 minutes. It had a budget of $1.2 to $3 million. Uh, that's according to Wiki. With a box office of 2.9 million, so kind of broke even there. Which, although this movie's got a reputation and it is a bit of a cult classic now, to say the least, it doesn't surprise me that it didn't make a lot of money because no one knew who Tarantino was back in the day, really. No, exactly. I've got that here in my notes, Brad. Well, I just apologize in advance for anyone. Um, I've got a massive toothache and I've been smashing pills all day, so if I do sound a little bit that's that's the reason why. Um, yeah, I remember when this came out, and I remember there was a lot of hype. I remember seeing it on the news, and people saying this film's really controversial. And I don't think we got it over here until a few months later, early 93, so about three or four months later than the US. And there was just this whole thing around it, just saying, you know, this film's a bit sketchy, and there's some dodgy parts in it. And I got it on, um, the, I got an imported a US DVD of it, because it didn't come out on here um over here on vhs until 95 we we waited three years for it um and i remember being disappointed when i first saw it thinking what was all the hype around this film i'm not really sure what it was about um but yeah i mean obviously that's going back to when it first came out when did you first see it bread roll um i think i first saw it i must have been like late 90s or something i think i was maybe about 13 or 14 i think i caught it on tv and up until then like um, I'd, I'd known about it mainly because, like back obviously in the day with like blockbuster and everything. I always remember seeing like the um, the poster for it and everything. Obviously, it's that like quite iconic poster, isn't it? It's simple, but it's just them walking along, reservoir dogs up on it and everything. It always kind of had my curiosity, and I think me and my brother watched it on TV, and I, I was the same as you. I was like, I don't quite get that. You know, I don't know what all the like hype was about. I mean, it was fun and everything, and um, obviously years I've watched it more and more. Um, but yeah, I came away thinking everyone said this is like really gnarly or really like brutal, and it just wasn't um in my opinion at least not to some of the other stuff i've probably seen and shouldn't have seen at that age anyway yeah i think the the problem with it was when it came out over here there was a very high profile um child murder in the uk um jamie bolger i don't know if, if you're aware of or you know about that but people out there might do um he was a little child he was abducted abducted in a shopping center in liverpool and he was tortured by these other two children i think they were only 10 or so the kids actually abducted him and just the whole thing with the copper and the torture scene, everything, it was just obviously was just bad timing. I mean, it's a horrific what happened to that child. And I think that played into this, that the government and everyone got really twitchy about anything that involved torture. So I think that's why this sort of got banned. I think for want of a better word, it just got delayed over here for, for quite a few years because of that, I think. 
Oh, I, I didn't know about that link. I remember the, um, I know about the case and yeah, absolutely um, horrific indeed. Um, but I didn't realise, I didn't even clock maybe two and two together. But yeah, that, that actually makes a lot of sense actually because that was high profile. Um, obviously, and it's still, I think I've seen a few like documentaries and stuff where it's like, you know, worst sort of crimes in the UK and all that sort of stuff. And now um, it's popped up on there a couple of times. So yeah, fair play. Yeah, I mean, completely unrelated. I mean, you know, that was children doing horrific things. This is adults doing horrific things. But I, I just guess it was just bad timing in that respect. I mean, as you said there, when you just ran through the the early part, the, the box office didn't do very well, but the budget was minuscule. And to be fair, you can see why. I mean, there's some high-profile actors in this, but there's not many locations and not a lot of sort of money went into the actual shooting of the film. You can tell that. Yeah, absolutely. I um, was flicking through earlier and there's, um, I think, most of it, the, the warehouse they're in, obviously we're going to spend most of the time probably talking about it in the synopsis and everything. That was actually um, a morgue or something like that and they were just allowed to like have that section of it. And then the bit, uh, Tim Roth's character, um, Mr Orange, his apartment apparently was just a room above that as well. So they kind of just shot it on like some random back lot really, just using a morgue as the main scene. Oh, fair play. I didn't know that. I mean, yeah, good work by Tarantino. I mean, like you say, he wasn't really known at this point, was he? It's his first sort of proper sort of outing. Um, and apparently Lawrence Tierney, who plays Joe, was an absolute nightmare to work with. I mean, he'd been in lots of things beforehand. I mean, he was quite old when he did this. I think he started his film career in sort of the 40s. Um, and apparently, yeah, he was an absolute nightmare to work with. He's a proper, like, bruiser and a boxer. And him and Tarantino almost came to blows quite a few times during filming because he was just an absolute arsehole. I can kind of see that. He reminds me a bit of the guy who played Baptist Barry in Lockstock. Uh, I just, like, you know, big kind of, like, sort of, like meaty type <laughs> guy and everything. But he, look, he looks the part he plays and it's like he's got to be, like, I don't know, kind of like that in real life, really. Yeah, absolutely got that. Straight away, I thought of um, of Baptist as well. Yeah, totally. Yeah, totally get that. Yeah, I mean, I think he was in Dillinger, which is like a a massive thing. He'd been in quite a few bits and pieces. So he's very well known. But yeah, a bit of a nightmare by all accounts. But yeah, God rest his soul. He's great in this film, to be fair to him. Yeah, he is. And they all are to their own um, respect, really. So um, let's take a look at the old synopsis then and see what this one is all about. As always, we're pulling this from Wiki. So thank you to whoever wrote that. So it goes a little something like this. Eight gangsters eat breakfast at a Los Angeles diner. All but the boss, Joe Cabot, and his son, underboss, nice guy Eddie Cabot, uses aliases, Mr. Brown, Mr. White, Mr. Blonde, Mr. Blue, Mr. Orange, and Mr. Pink, or Mr. Pussy. After (laughs) Mr. Brown finishes rambling about the Madonna song, Like a Virgin, the group argues about Mr. Pink's policy of not tipping. That's pretty much a short and sweet um, intro to this particular movie. Now, straight away, I know this is Tarantino's first movie, but... He has a style that we all know about, and this is his typical type of movie, isn't it, that he used to do like a cold opening just straight into a bit of dialogue and conversation before any of the credits come up and straight in there, isn't he, with this? I love it. Like, when again, when I first saw this, obviously I'd never seen a Tarantino film before, and that's why I didn't get it. But now, obviously, I haven't seen everything he's ever done. It's just him to a T, isn't it? It opens with them all talking in the restaurant, the Madonna conversation about the dick and everything, and then the tipping part. It's just it's just Tarantino all over, isn't it? And I love the fact they're all suited in boot and everything. And there's old nice guy Eddie just wearing his shell suit. And you like he looks so fucking out of place. And obviously you sort of realise why a little bit later on, but everyone else is looking like the part and he's just there in his shell suit like he's just come out of the gym or something. 
Yeah, <laughs> I fucking love Nice Guy Eddie. I mean, he's obviously a, 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 a bad guy, a villain as such and everything, but he's played so well. It's Chris Penn, isn't it, who plays him? Yes, it is. The yeah. Name. yeah, it's fucking brilliant. And yeah, it just straight away introduces you to all the kind of characters, the camaraderie. And like I say, that just, that kind of signature that's just become synonymous in all Tarantino movies and stuff. Obviously, this is his first one. But like you say, it's just those dialogues, those conversations, and just building a scene and building these characters just through dialogue, isn't it, more than anything else? Yeah, I mean, they're all doing their own thing, aren't they? And you've got, obviously, Mr. Pink being an absolute dick when he's talking about tipping the waitress. And that goes on for ages, and they're all arguing about it. But, yeah, it's just so well done. But, obviously, back in 92, when no one was aware of what Tarantino was about, like, they were probably, like, sat there thinking, certainly I was, what the fuck, this is just, I don't get this. But now, watching it again the other day, I was like, this is fucking brilliant. Yeah, I do love that bit with the whole fucking tipping thing. Because again, Steve Buscemi is an amazing actor. I love him. I love pretty much everyone who's in this movie. To be to be honest, um, and over the years, obviously they've gotten bigger and bigger. Um, but yeah, the thing that he's going on about it, the thing is, he like comes back and then Joe's like straight away he spots the table and he's like, "Who didn't tip?" And it's like, you haven't even counted it. How can you just look at one of like one dollar bills or whatever it's supposed to be and know that someone hasn't fucking tipped? Yeah, he's either on the ball. That's a complete plot fucking hole, isn't it? But he's like, all right, ramblers, let's get rambling. And then it sort of all kicks off and we get the DJ, don't we? The old K-Billy introducing the Partridge family. The music starts and you get the slow-mo of them all walking. The titles start rolling. And then you just like, yeah, you just know this film is just synonymous. There's a few scenes in this film that everyone must know and that must be one of them. There's a a scene, obviously, a bit later on, which is even more famous, but... Yeah, this film just, I don't know, it's just got so many parts that I'm thinking, yeah, even if you haven't seen this film, you must know that actual scene. Absolutely. And you mentioned in there, old K. Billy and everything, because one thing about Tarantino's earlier movies, his first sort of handful, they all exist in like their own world that's kind of parallel to ours, aren't they? Like, And um, some characters are kind of linked, like um, Michael Madsen's character in this, Mr. Blonde, his real name's Vic Vega, and he's actually the brother of Vincent Vega, who John Travolta plays in um, Pulp Fiction, character-wise. And there's all these links to this world, like this Pulp Fiction, I think, Jackie Brown. They all exist in this kind of world that Tarantino built, and he doesn't really do that anymore, but there's like things like references to El Rey, Big Kahuna Burger, and all this stuff. And he made this kind of cinema world, almost like a GTA style, that's kind of our world but not quite and then after a few movies he stopped doing it but i used to love all this stuff in his early in his early work yeah i think that you're right there his early work definitely all does tie in together but not actually directly and it's very clever what he's done um yes shame he didn't really carry that on isn't it um but yeah i I obviously picked up on that more so watching this again now i was like vic vega obviously yeah vincent vega yeah it's just just little touches like that that you really notice yeah so the gangsters carry a diamond heist mr white flees with mr orange who was shot during the escape and is bleeding severely in the back of mr white's car at one of joe's warehouses mr white and mr orange rendezvous with mr pink who believes the job was a setup and that the police were waiting for them mr white informs that mr brown is dead mr blue and mr blonde are missing and mr blonde murdered several civilians during the heist mr white is furious that joe his old friend would employ Mr. Blonde, whom he describes as a psychopath. Mr. Pink has hidden the diamonds nearby and argues with Mr. White over whether to get medical attention for Mr. Orange and a pair of, and the pair draw guns at each other. They stand down when Mr. Blonde arrives with a kidnapped policeman, Marvin Nash. Now that's probably about a good sort of like 25 minute stretch of the movie, maybe a little bit longer there, but um, pretty much covers it in a nutshell. 
Yeah, um, can, uh, definitely. Um, props there, Brad Roll, for getting all those misters in there. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was looking at it as you were reading it, thinking, fucking hell, you've done well there, not fall over those. Um, yeah, it's weird, Nick, because you get all that whole thing there, and it just cuts to um, after all that in the in the restaurant, they're all arguing about tipping and Madonna sucking big dicks and that. And it just cuts to old Mr. Orange bleeding out in the back of Mr. White's car. It's, it's, again, we hadn't seen Tarantino at this point. We know that's what he's synonymous for now. He's famous for, isn't he? Just cutting around and jumping about all over the place. But again, I remember first seeing this film thinking, what the fuck's happened here? There's some guy bleeding out in the back of a car. I don't know what, what's happened. How's he got to this point? Yeah, exactly. And obviously now nowadays we know, don't we? Like he cuts, he goes all over the place with his movies. I mean, Pulp Fiction's fucking one of them. We might <laughs> even do that one day. But um, uh, yeah, and this one is crazy. Because like I say, you got that cold opening. Then you get that sort of like, kind of like little intro, that little baseline tune playing, and then that's when you know fucking Mr. Orange is bleeding his guts out in the car and it's all kicking off. But I fucking love just like Harvey Keitel, who plays uh, Mr. White, is fucking brilliant in this. And um, his relationship with Mr. Orange throughout the whole film is really good. And then when Steve Buscemi, uh, Mr. Pink comes in, just the way they do the dialogue, and it's, it's not shot in like a single sequence, which I know is quite popular these days, and it looks really good when it is, but there are sections where the camera just kind of follows them into different rooms and turns around, but it's mainly set on a fixed point, and I just really like the way that it's shot like that. It's very clever, isn't it? I mean, when they're in the car, the old uh, Mr. White, Harvey Cartel's like, you're going to be okay, say the goddamn fucking <laughs> words. But, man, he doesn't look okay, does he? And obviously he's, he's trying to make him feel like he's going to be all right. He knows he's fucking bleeding out, because he lies to him at one point, doesn't he? He says, it will take about three or four days for you to bleed out. You'll be all right. And he turns around to Mr. Ping and says he's going to fucking die in the minute we don't sort him out. Um, but I thought as well, Tim Roth's acting is just so good. He is just, he looks generally fucked. Obviously, the makeup there is helping out. But the way he's acting, he, he's panicking, he's screaming, he's crying. I just thought he just played this part so well. Yeah, yeah, it is really good. Like you say, he looks actually genuinely terrified, and obviously he gets paler and paler throughout the movie. And there's a, mm. they go a little bit overboard, but then again, this is like, I know we keep saying it, but obviously we get used to it with Tarantino eventually. But obviously they lay him down like, on this like ramp thing where he then spends the rest of the movie pretty much. And it's obviously bleeding out, but there's so much fucking blood coming out of him. So I'm sorry, be dead for that. It's like someone just poured like a whole fucking tub of like red paint all over that fucking walkway. And it keeps getting worse. Yeah. Uh, the film and it's like I know he's been shot in the stomach but I don't think he's got that much stuff in his body to fucking lose yeah he's a little bit over the top in it but as we say that's Tarantino all over but I mean I was, I was watching this again and I was thinking I, I don't know what I'd rather do obviously Mr Orange we find out a little bit later on he's not quite who he's supposed to be um, I won't give it away just yet but I'm sure people will know but He's like, oh, I want to go to fucking hospital and risk jail, but he's not going to risk jail, or I'm just going to bleed out and die. And um, old, uh, obviously, Harvey Keitel, Mr. White's got the dilemma. What does he do? He's, he's formed a bomb with this guy, which he shouldn't have done, but he kind of feels like it's his fault he's been shot at that point, doesn't he? And he's like, shit, do I take him to the hospital? What do I fucking do with him? And then old Pink comes in, <laughs> Steve Buscemi, and he proper gets fucking stressed out. And I'm thinking, to be fair, right, you're looking all right. You've got fucking orange bleeding out on the floor there and you're properly kicking off, but you're actually pretty much intact after what's just happened. Well, yeah, I mean, first of all, he's intact. And two, he's got the diamonds. He could have just fucking had it away, couldn't he? You know, yeah. I know, he could have skipped town or something like that. But he's like, oh, do we wait for Joe? He's obviously pushing for them to go to a hotel. And at one point he's even like, let's just fucking drop uh, orange off at like a, a hospital or something and then just sort of drive off or whatever. But 
I do like the scene where um, the orangey kind of like passes out a little bit and away well, hasn't quite passed out at this point, but um, White's like, I'm going to go in, into the other room and it follows uh, pink and white into like a sort of, I don't know, some random room and everything. And then he start having a conversation and give Mr. White suddenly turns into Del Boy. He's like, like putting his hair all done. He's like brushing yeah, it back. He's like, <laughs> he's like proper chilling himself out. And, um, I just thought that was just quite brilliant. Obviously, he's going back to his kind of cool, confident character now because he's obviously in front of Mr. Pink. He doesn't want to look like he's like losing his shit or anything. Yeah, I got that as well. I thought exactly the same thing. The whole Del Boy thing where he starts like he gets the comb out and starts brushing his hair down in front of the mirror. And I like the way that's shot because at first they go into that room and it's shot at a distance and you can only see bits of them as they go in and out of the sort of frame in the doorway. And it does cut into them close up. And as you said there um, earlier on about the way this is shot, not on a fixed point, it's really well shot because it's just a bit strange the way you just see them. They're arguing, but you can only see sort of part of them at a time. And it does cut into them both close up. So, again, some some well sort of good shooting there by Tarantino. But then we, we do get uh, sort of a cut to the robbery and we do see Pink escaping. And he gets hit by that car, doesn't he? And he pulls the woman out. And then some cops are sort of shooting at him and he drives off. And he's got he's got this windscreen that's so fucked up and he still manages to get away. And I'm like, how can you even see? Like, that windscreen is so smashed up. Yeah, I was thinking that. It's like, fucking, they've got better eyes than me, son. Because I, I know you'd obviously be fucking driving like a madman with people shooting at you. But either way, like, the fact that you managed to get back to the um the warehouse with that windscreen and no one actually tracking the car. So surely someone would have spotted it. Uh, fair play to him. And again, yeah, I do like... um. So. That bit when he's like running down the street when it cuts to him with the robbery, they put the Wilhelm scream in there, you know, that kind of like famous wow type scream mm. in movies. It's like all he's done is nudge someone on a fucking pavement and they put that scream in there. It's a bit <laughs> ridiculous. That's normally something when someone gets like thrown out of a spaceship or something, they just have it one guy moving over. Yeah. And then obviously they start um sort of properly introducing Mr. Blonde, don't they, for being a psychopath and um older white Harvey Keitel's like, I don't even know why Joey got him fucking involved in this. He's an absolute fucking mentalist. He's a psychopath. And then Pink says he's got the diamonds or he says he's stashed them and they should go and get them. And that's when they sort of, um, there's a bit of a dilemma going on. Do they go and get the diamonds? But white doesn't want to leave orange. Pink wants to go. And this sort of whole thing where they don't really know each other, it sort of starts playing now, doesn't it? Yeah, it is really good because there's a really cool scene. Like we just said there, you know, got a shot when Harvey Keitel was like doing his hair in the mirror just before him and Pink fall out and then Mr. Blonde appears. Like um, Pink's going on about like he thinks maybe even Joe's involved because he's like straight away, Mr. Pink's like, I think there's a fucking rat, you know, this mm. happened, that happened. Then he does this sort of like long thing about, you know, what if Joe set this up and everything? He's nowhere to be found. How do we know? The camera just stays again on like Mr. White's face. You can kind of see the cogs turning and he's like, maybe he's right. Maybe he's not. And just again, the facial expressions from Harvey Keitel are brilliant. And then when fucking Mr. Blonde comes in, he's just so, I don't know, like cool, but in an evil way, isn't he? He's just like leant against the pillar. He's got his like fucking drink and everything. And he's just talking so calmly quite menacingly and I think again he plays it brilliantly Michael Madsen I think he's amazing in this film yeah just before when um, Blonde comes in though <laughs> Mr Pink's like oh, I need to where's the John I need to take a squirt and he's like oh yeah it's um, go out there take a right go up the stairs take a left I'm like fuck me you're in Weatherspoons or something where is this toilet it's fucking <laughs> miles away I thought that was like you gave really precise directions. Like, did you spend a you know how long have you cased the joint of this like warehouse or something? But yeah, you're right. He is like fucking yeah, it's like twenty miles away. And like you say, just like bloody weather spoons. <laughs> yeah, it did make me chuckle. But yeah, when um, um when 
fucking what's his name Mr Blonde comes in they don't even notice him at first they were both sort of arguing with each other they turn around and there he is just sort of stood there just drinking his fucking soda while he was drinking and no one's even noticed him come in have they no they haven't it's a good job it wasn't the old Billy who walked in that's what I thought yeah exactly I was like well good good work there guys you didn't even notice him coming this is um, I do like this bit as well because obviously um, Mr White thinks obviously uh, Blonde is a psychopath and he's not far wrong to be fair and they obviously start like bickering and obviously White's like going off with him, but he just stays so calm, doesn't he? He doesn't like rise to anything like that. And it ends up with that line where he's like, are you going to keep barking all day, little doggy? Or are you going to bite? I just always thought that was a great line. That's a great line. Yeah, the, the whole thing between here, because Pink then suddenly goes, oh, he's cool and everything. He's, he's all right. And then, yeah, it's just the whole thing between the three of them. They're all unaware of each other and they don't really know what's going on, but. You know, some some are like sketchy, some are happy. It's just I don't know. It's fucking really well done. Yeah, and then they obviously go out to the car because um, at first they're a bit reluctant, aren't they? He's like, "Come on, I want to show you something." They're like, "Wait, wait, what do you mean?" Everything. They all again, like you say, they're not quite sure. It's like is he leading us into like the cops out there waiting for us. They have no idea. And then you know, at first you don't see that he's got a cop. You just kind of see a view from inside the trunk when they open it. And they're all like smiling and laughing. Then that poor fucker Marvin Nash is in there, isn't he? And then they sort of drag him in strap him down and everything but then we get a few kind of flashbacks around this time we get kind of um mr white's kind of interview well not interview but like when he's being set up for the job and you see his relationship with joe and then we also get to see uh blondes as well at this point don't we and like how he's just come out of prison and he's good friends with joe and nice guy eddie and they put him on the job quite early when he shouldn't have been on there yeah i think that comes into a uh, synopsis in a second because it leaves out a couple of parts actually later on in the synopsis, particularly about um, how Orange got into it. I noticed, but um, I think the the whole blonde introduction comes in, into the synopsis in a second. Oh, that's cool. So let's have a look then. So, sometime earlier, Mister Blonde meets with the Cabots, having completed a four-year jail sentence. To reward him for not having given Joe's name to the authorities for a lighter sentence, they offer him a no-show job. Mr. Blonde is grateful, but insists that he wants to go back to real work and they recruit him for the heist. In the present, Mr. Y and Mr. Pink beat Nash for information. Eddie arrives and orders them to retrieve the diamonds and ditch the getaway vehicles, leaving Mr. Blonde in charge of Nash and Mr. Orange. Nash denies knowledge, but Mr. Blonde ignores him and resumes the torture, cutting off Nash's ear with a straight razor. He prepares to set him on fire, but Mr. Orange shoots Mr. Blonde dead. Mr. Orange reveals to Nash that he is an undercover police officer and that the police will arrive when Joe comes to the warehouse. So yeah, you're right, there is in the synopsis, um, covers that bit. I quite like that bit. And there's another link to um, True Romance there, isn't it? Because um, isn't Mr. White's P.O. Scagnetti, isn't he? Which was, um, oh, fuck it, what's his name? No, Tom Sizemore's character. Natural, natural Born, born killers. killers, that's the one, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Scagnetti. Um, yeah, Blonde's... Um... Well, his real name's Vic Vega, as you mentioned earlier, and his parole officer's um, Scagnetti. Yeah, I got that. Again, when I first saw this, I didn't pick up on any of this sort of stuff. But yeah, it's, um, like say, um, Tarantino weaving his little world there. Yeah, yeah, it's really good. And I, I do like these little backstory bits because they kind of give you the flavour um, of you know some of these relationships that the other characters don't know. And it's quite a clever way. And you only get a couple, like you get um, White briefly, then we get obviously... Um, Mr. Blonde now, and then obviously we see Mr. Orange, who, as we know, 
is an undercover police officer. But that fucking bit where he's torturing that police officer, it's so well acted because the guy playing him is obviously looks fucking like he's completely shitting himself, which he would do. And he's like dancing around to like stuck in the middle of you from Super Sounds of the 70s, isn't he? And it's just such a fucking weird scene. Yeah, I think that's the the one scene. It's iconic with this film, isn't it? If you haven't seen this film, I mean, I said about the the intro when they're all walking and um, the song's playing, but this is the one that everyone probably knows. Um, and again, I mean, it's it's a nasty thing what he's doing. Obviously, he's torturing the guy, and the poor fucking bloke, he cuts his bloody ear off. But it's shot so stylishly that I'm not going to say it's good, but yeah, there's something about it, and just the way it's shot, it kind of tones down what he's fucking doing to him. It does, yeah, and it does cut away. No pun intended. And when he's actually cutting his ear, the camera pans away, doesn't it? Because you saw, you see him from behind anyway. Then it comes back, and he's just like waving his ear around and everything. <laughs> he's like, he's quite malicious. He's like talking into it, like, "Can you hear me? Can you hear me?" and shit like that. And it's like the scene I like is when the camera kind of follows him out of the warehouse across the kind of not a forecourt, but in the parking space. He gets the petrol can out and then comes back in and then the music kind of kicks back in as he enters the warehouse. I just like that kind of shot that follows him back and forth. Yeah, and he's kind of dancing and he's sort of spraying over him and obviously that petrol on that fucking ear where he's just cut it off must be burning like shit and he's pouring it all as he's about to light it. Um, Apparently that scene's completely cut out with the Swedish version, so I don't know how that would work. I mean, like you say, it's cut away in this version... Um, I'm not sure if there is a, a version of it ever where you see him cut it off, whether it is cut out in every single version, but I read that that whole thing's cut out. So how that would work in the Swedish version, I don't really know, because, he, you know, to, to just come back in with a petrol can and start waving it around and that whole thing where he's waving his ear about is not in it, I don't really know. But, yeah, it's um, it's, it's a fucking good scene, although it's nasty, obviously. Um, one bit, though, I thought, he gets this fucking roll of duct tape and he pulls it out and he just rips it. And duct tape's fucking, it's tough stuff. And he, he just rips it like it's like fucking paper. And I'm not sure that would work. I don't know. I've never really tied someone up and tortured them, but I'm not really sure it would rip that easily. <laughs> but I do like the way that Orange just fucking comes back from the dead, though, and just like puts about six shots in blonde because you think he's, he's pretty much dead at that point, don't he? He's been led there. And fair play. I mean, I don't know how many times he had to reposition old uh, Tim Roth to be in that shot because I imagine obviously there have been uh, quite a few takes and they must have had to pick him up, put him back there again. But he just sort of pops up and uh, sticks a few shots in him, doesn't he? He does, yeah. And that's, re- that's really good the way he just suddenly... Because the shots come from off screen, don't you? Like, um, yeah. Like you say, like, Blonde's just like covered this poor geezer in fucking petrol. And the, the one thing about this, I always thought, Obviously, it's not meant to be, so it doesn't happen in the movie, but I thought it could have gone completely tits up because he's got one of those proper, like, clippo lighters or whatever they're called, aren't they? Like, they stay lit when they're open, and then he gets yeah. shot. He could have easily just dropped that open flame onto the petrol, and the guy would have gone up anyway, so kind of lucky that didn't happen. But then, again, it's like the camera work. It spins around, and you see Orange, like, fucking pulling the trigger. And then he, like, drops the magazine out, and he's kind of keeps pointing his gun. You're like, what are you doing? And then it turns around, and fucking Vic's still partially alive isn't he and then he kind of like slumps down and finally dies at the far end of the warehouse yeah yeah you're right actually with that liar yeah i mean i had the um first release blu-ray of this version of uh, this film which i don't have anymore and i had a clipo liar inside i wish i still had it probably worth money now but i don't have it anymore but yeah those liars you're right they then um, once you lit them they did stay alive for a while so they had like a wick inside them didn't they but <clears throat> i did think that nash i know he's had his ear cut off and everything he's 
properly fucking panicking. She's only been on the job a while, as he said, when he's being tortured by Blonde. But he's a bit of a prick to Orange, isn't he? He's just fucking saved his life and he's bleeding out. And he starts having a go at him. I'm like, fucking hell, man, chill out. He's just saved your life here. Yeah, because he does fire back, doesn't he? Because he cut my ear off under form. Then he's like, shut the fuck up. I'm fucking dying here, sort of thing. Yeah. It's like, well, all right, you're both having a bad day, but, you know, you're police officers, so I like it. Yeah, and this is when we get the whole background about Orange now, which I don't think is in the synopsis, but we get quite a big part of the movie now, don't we, where it shows him about he's um he's been talking about, he's got to pretend he's been set up for this drug deal and everything, and it, that's how he sort of spins his yarn to Joe Eddie and Mr. White, isn't it? There's a whole good chunk of the film here that I don't think it's mentioned in the synopsis, and Tim Roth plays this really, really well. Yeah, I like seeing this, like how he kind of, like they do it as a commode story, isn't it? Where he like says about mm. like a drug deal and he goes in there and there's like the police officers, the German shepherd and everything. It's about like building a scene. And again, I always thought the scene was pretty cool. And obviously you see how he kind of has to learn it and make it his own so he can tell the story as if he was really there. And like it sees him sort of learning it from his mate and then he's sort of performing it just sort of back to him. And then it sort of cuts around to him sort of like doing it in the club to like Mr. White, Joe and nice guy Eddie and stuff like that. It's really, really stylish. But Another thing I was thinking is, like, as we know now, again, with Tarantino, he loves to just have moments in movies and just talk about how much he knows about movies. And this whole part of the film is about creating a scene and acting properly, isn't it? That's pretty much yeah. what he's doing. He's just talking about acting, but he's actually putting it into a character. Yeah, and also the Lost Boys gets a name drop, doesn't it? It, it does. He says, I was watching the fucking Lost Boys at this point. And there's... um. There's a scene in there where there's um, Pink, White and Eddie in the car and it's a pretty un-PC conversation. I'm not going to repeat what they say. And that's another thing that does tend to play, play a part in a lot of Tarantino movies. He likes this kind of really un-PC dialogue. He's not scared to have it in his films, is he? He's not. No, I was thinking there's a lot of that in this uh, movie and that's partially a sign of the times back then as well. But even in his modern films, he still goes through it. Obviously, anyone who's seen Django would know all about it. Um there's another bit here, another sort of nod, and this is to True Romance. Um, it's just a line that they use. He says when he's in the um, like the diner with his mate, he's teaching the commode story. The guy comes out of that whole diddly-eyed Joe, but damned if I know type line that yeah. Gary Oldman used in um, True Romance. Yeah, it's definitely all linked around, isn't it? It's, it's really good the way he does this, and obviously it's intentional. Um, and then also, before we move on to the next part, we, we do get another scene, which I don't think is mentioned in the synopsis, when they're all getting their names. Um, Joe sat them all down. He's like, right. <laughs> and obviously Pink's not happy with being called uh, Mr. Pink, as you said, Mr. Pussy. And, but old Tarantino, he pops up in this film a couple of times. He's Mr. Brown. He's like, oh, well, that's like Mr. Shit. Because Tarantino does make a, a cameo appearance in most of his films, certainly, certainly the early ones. Yeah, he does. Um, and obviously we see him, how he dies as well, don't we? I don't think, again, that's in the synopsis, but um, we see how he dies. I do like the bit where it's like, Mr. Brown's pr pretty close to Mr. Shit. I think that's fucking brilliant. One <laughs> thing, we've also got Mr. Blue, who doesn't say a single word in the movie, I don't think. Um, but we do see a few shots of him. Apparently he was a bank robber in um, real life, that guy. And I think that's where Tarantino spoke to him to get some of the ideas from and ended up just putting him in the film. Okay, yeah, fair enough. Yeah, because, yeah, he's just literally, you get a couple of shots of his face. But, yeah, you're right, he doesn't say a word in the whole bloody film, do you? Cause, does he, sorry? We get we get a bit as well where you see um, White and um, Orange are stalking out the sort of the place before they do the robbery, and they're both sat there in the car in their fucking Hawaiian shirts. And I'm thinking, you're doing a stakeout, fair enough. I suppose you're trying to be inconspicuous. So maybe wearing 
Hawaiian shirts is a complete sort of double bluff because you're looking really conspicuous, but maybe you're being inconspicuous at the same time. So that does make any kind of sense. Yeah, yeah, it's a strange one, isn't it? Like you say, they just kind of sat there in full view, fucking hula shirts on. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean the fashion is what it is, isn't it, in these movies? But um, yeah, it's pretty good. And then, um, again, I don't know, we'll do the last bit of the synopsis in a minute, but the bit where um, this always confused me, and even today looking at it, I was like, is it or isn't it? Um, we kind of see, it kind of comes back on itself to like where the start of the movie was, and we see how um, Orange gets shot. Uh, but first of all, you see that like, Mr. Blue kind of crash, and it's like, I'm always wondering, has he been shot on the head? And if he has, because he's at least got this big bloody hole in like his forehead, and it's like, has he been shot on the head? And if so, how is he alive in the first place to even crash that car? Because he speaks for a little bit, then he dies. And I always wondered exactly what his injury was. Oh, is he brown, you mean? Tarantino? Brown, that's it. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah no, I thought that as well. Yeah, watching this the other night for this. Yeah, because he's like, have I been shot? And they're like, no, no, it's just a bit of blood. Don't worry, you're fine. And then they're like, oh, brown's dead. And I'm like, well... Is he or isn't he? Because it doesn't look like he's been shot. It just does look like a cut on his head and he's bleeding a little bit. Um, and then, obviously, um, White shoots a couple of those cops, doesn't he? Um, and obviously, we know at this point, Orange is an undercover cop. And you can see his face as he watches old uh, White shoot those two cops. He's like, fuck, what, what am I in for now? This is fucking bad. But then, when um, before Orange obviously gets shot, they pull, they pull that um, car and it's a woman, isn't it? They pull out the car, they hijack it, and Orange actually shoots the woman, doesn't he, before they get into the car? He does, yeah, because he opens the door and she's got like a little gun in her purse and she's the one who pops him yeah. in his stomach. And as he falls down, he shoots her. And then even then, the expression on his face, before he's probably realised he's been shot, probably the shock, you see that kind of look of remorse. And it's like, shit, I've just seen two cops gunned down. Now I've just shot someone and I'm supposed to be a good guy. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's typical Tarantino. And then again, in typical Tarantino style, it cuts back to that sort of opening scene with him bleeding out in the car. And you're like, okay, this is all sort of turned full circle now. Now I actually know what's going on. Yeah. So let's see how this one wraps up then. So when Eddie, Pink and White return, Mr. Orange tries to convince him that Mr. Blonde planned to kill them all and steal the diamonds for himself. Eddie impulsively kills Nash and accuses Mr. Orange of lying since Mr. Blonde was loyal to his father. Joe arrives with news that the police have killed Mr. Blue. He is about to execute Mr. Orange, whom he suspects is the traitor behind the setup, but Mr. White intervenes and holds Joe at gunpoint, insisting that Mr. Orange is not a police officer. Eddie aims his gun at Mr. White, creating a Mexican standoff. All three fire, both Cabots are killed, and Mr. White and Mr. Orange are hit. Mr. Pink, the only uninjured person, takes the diamonds and flees, but is apprehended by the police outside. As Mr. White cradles a dying Mr. Orange in his arms, Mr. Orange confesses that he is, in fact, a police officer. Mr. White presses the gun to Mr. Orange's head. The police storm the warehouse and order Mr. White to drop his gun. Gunshots sound and Mr. White collapses. So there we are. Is that bit when they, when old fucking Joe and everyone come back and everything. It's just brilliant the way this is all acted. It's so intense. All the performances are just brilliant. Yeah, amazing. I mean, Eddie comes in and he's like, um, who the fuck is this to that miss, um, the old Nash guy? He doesn't take much um, sort of time, does he? He just fucking shoots him. It's like, yeah, bang, bang, bang. He's fucking dead. So <laughs> you think Nash might survive, but no, that doesn't happen. Yeah, I do like the way he kind of comes to his kind of conclusion. And to be fair, he's not wrong either. When Orange, no. Orange is like, oh, Blonde was going to do this. And he goes, this guy who's been in jail for us for four four years who didn't make a deal no matter what they dangled decided that out of the fucking blue he was gonna fucking kill us or something i just love that fucking like anger rising in him 
Yeah, it's good, isn't it? He, he looks properly demented, doesn't he, when he's having a go at him. He's like, fucking hell, you know, he wouldn't have betrayed us and all this. Yeah, it's really, really good. And as you say there, he's actually right. He's the only one who had any sense in his film at the end of the day, I think. Yeah, him and Mr. Pink anyway, although Mr. Pink was more about like, being a professional and stuff. Because I don't know if we mentioned it earlier, but we found out earlier on that Mr. White, a couple of jobs ago, was on one and there was an undercover cop that nearly ruined it and stuff. Um, so it's kind of like double heartache for him, isn't it? Because he's been on Orange's side all this time and it turns out that he's a cop as well. So he's sort of been done up twice. Yeah. And obviously after it all kicks off and everyone gets shot, White's kind of in the same situation now as Orange. They're both bleeding out. But he looks generally pissed off when Orange turns around and tells him he's a cop. I mean, you know, Orange probably should have been dead by now anyway. He has been bleeding for quite a while. Even in Tarantino world, he's bled out a lot. But he probably would have been dead by now. But I'm thinking, is this a mixture of the fact you've you've fallen for it, he has double bluffed you. You actually did like him because he he did generally have a liking for him after obviously he thought he got him killed at one point, or the fact that he's just dying because White's obviously on his way out as well. Because Harvey Cartel plays it really well and he starts pretty much crying, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, he does, and that's sort of like it's so genuine that kind of like crying kind of noise that he does and everything and um at this stage as well you always kind of forget about mr pink because he's just kind of vanished out of the off and he's got them sneaking out from underneath that fucking ramp doesn't he like after everyone <laughs> shot each other um there's apparently there's a mistake here and i didn't clock it um obviously i haven't seen this movie in ages and i watched it this morning because it's just the sort of thing you want to watch at 7 30 in the morning on a sunday um, obviously obviously <laughs> But apparently there's a mistake here because when they're having their little Mexican standoff, there's like three of them and I think you've got nice guy, Eddie, he's pointing his gun at Orange. Then Harvey Keitel's character, he's pointing his at Joe and then Joe's pointing his at, um, obviously back at uh, White. And apparently like they all shoot, but like four gun sounds come out, but there's only like three guns or something. There's something really weird that kind of went on and it was because one of the, um, the props or something went off um, when it shouldn't have done. So you actually hear like kind of like four gunshots when there should have been like three or something like that. But I never noticed it. Okay, no, I never noticed it. I mean, I've seen this film a few times, although the other day was the first time I've seen it for a good few years, but I definitely didn't notice that at all. I mean, is it a typical Tarantino ending, which pretty much he does in every film from here on in, doesn't it? Where there is some kind of Mexican standoff and a, a mass kind of shooting at the end. It's pretty much his um, sort of thing now. It is, yeah, because he loves his spaghetti western styles, doesn't he? I've got to say, um, the ending shot, I think, looks a bit shit. Because he's like sat there and he's like obviously got the gun to Orange's head. Then you hear the police coming and he looks up. And then you kind of hear the guns go off. But there's like, no blood or like reaction. He just kind of just slumps down. It's like, if you'd have been shot, yeah. you'd have been like, falling back. I just think it looks a little bit ropey. Yeah, no, I thought that as well. And I, Does he actually... Does he shoot Orange as well as he goes down, or does he not? Does Orange survive? We don't know. Because, obviously, I'm assuming um, White gets shot by the coppers. You don't actually see them. You just hear them. But there's, there's no blood either way. Doesn't Nothing comes off him. Nothing goes on to him. So does Orange survive? I mean, you'd thought he'd have bled out by now anyway. Yeah, because they're like, drop the gun or we'll put you down. And then you hear a gun go off, and then the rest of them. So you, I, I assumed he shot Orange. And then they blew him away. But again, yeah. there's like no blood or reaction or like anything. He just sort of just goes and falls down. And I didn't even <laughs> realise until I read it on the synopsis. I didn't realise Mr. Pink got arrested outside. Um, no. I, know you don't see it. I don't know if you were supposed to know that he got arrested. I thought he actually got away. Yeah, I didn't know either until I saw it on the synopsis. Because um, like you say, you, you don't hear or you don't see the cops. You just hear them. And Pink just sort of sneaks off, like almost cartoon-like, doesn't he? Sort of like doing doing Pink Panther style, just sort of creeps off in the background. 
Well, then, um, that's pretty much the uh, synopsis there for uh, Reservoir Dogs and everything. So um, it's time to give this one some scores. And do you want to kick us off this year, JT, by going first? Yeah, why not, Brad? Well, I think it might be my turn anyway, but um, I'll go first anyway, even if it isn't. So, yeah, um, well, as with Die Hard, we did a few weeks back now, if you haven't heard that, shameless plug, go back. It's a Christmas movie, by the way. Um, I hadn't seen this for a few years, but it did all come back to me, most of it. Apart, I couldn't remember that orange backstory at all, and it wasn't in the synopsis, which I had in front of me when I was watching this, so that didn't help. But, yeah, I mean, great performances all around. I think everyone is awesome. Um, Tim Roth, in particular, I thought stole the show just for the fact he pretty much has to play dead throughout the whole film and just come alive at pretty sort of various parts in the film. And also, we get his whole backstory as well, which I had forgotten about. I thought the soundtrack works really well with the film, the whole K Billy thing. We used to do that back in the day, didn't we? The K Billy sounds. We used to sort of mess about with that, I think, when we were working in the game yeah. shop. Um, I mean, you can see the film, it had a low budget. So it's pretty much all shot in one location, as you said. I didn't realise the whole the whole thing was shot in one location, but it doesn't really move around a lot. But it kind of works. It adds to that whole gritty feeling. Um, yeah, I enjoyed watching it again, I have to say. Um, and when I first saw this, as I said at the start, I didn't like it. But my thoughts on it have totally changed since I first saw it. Um, I, th- I just don't think I got it back then. I was not aware of Tarantino and it was his first film, so I didn't really get what he was trying to get at back then. So I don't think it's Tarantino's best work, I have to say, but it paved the way for some of my favourite films of all time and it did stamp his style all over cinema and what he was about to do. So I shouldn't give this five others, but I'm going to just because of what it all started and I did really enjoy it and I really understood it a lot more watching it again earlier just thinking about it a bit more. So, yeah, it's going to be five others for me, Brad Roll. What about yourself? Oh, lovely stuff, JT. Starting a year off strong with a, a five, mm. five other movie. Wow. Okay, so, um, yeah, I mean, as I say, my first sort of introduction to this movie, again, back then, I just didn't get it. I just didn't watch those types of movies, those more kind of cerebral kind of back and forth, just that sort of style of film. I just wasn't into that when I was like 14 or whenever it was. Um, over the years, I have watched this a couple of times, and I do like it, but it had been quite a long time since I'd last seen it, other than when I watched it, obviously, this morning, to review. And I couldn't remember what I actually thought of this film. I remember the broad strokes. I couldn't remember if it was actually really good or if I didn't like it, because some of his more recent work I haven't enjoyed very much. And I was like, is he just a bit too, you know, over the top for the sake of being it? And then when I was watching it earlier, I was like, fuck, this film's actually really good. I've forgotten how good it is and like you say it kind of started off what became like a kind of quite a famous style of doing movies up to a certain point anyway um and kind of built his career on and i still like his older work where he had this world that we discussed that kind of cinema world that kind of his movies and i think robert rodriguez had some movies set in the same world as well like dust till dawn and everything i think takes place in this weird warped world that they've got going on which i think is really cool uh all the characters are great i think they're all brilliant and they're well acted uh, the music's fantastic. It's actually quite a good soundtrack um, for such a low-budget movie. I mean, I don't know if copywriting just wasn't as strict as it was back then, but he's got like, all kinds of licensed songs going on. And the fact they're allowed to use songs like um, Stuck in the Middle of You during a torture scene. I mean, some studios would shy away from that sort of thing, but the fact that they got it, fair play to him. Um, yeah, brilliant film. I really enjoyed it. I think uh, an hour 40, or roughly, it's quite manageable better than some of his uh, more longer-winded movies like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood that was like four hours of nothing happening. Um, 
Yeah, I think I'm going to have to give this one a good, strong score. I don't think I'm going to give it five, but I'm going to give it four. Good, strong four adders for um, Reservoir Dogs because I did enjoy it. And I think it's definitely one of those movies that the first time you watch it, it might be difficult to get into, but it is a rewatchable one. I think the more time you spend with it over the years, um, the better it gets, really. So, yeah, four adders from me, JT. Oh, good stuff, Red Roll. Yeah, I mean, four probably would. If it wasn't a Tarantino film, I probably would have gone down the four adder route. Um, but... I love Tarantino, I'm not going to lie. And once upon a time in Hollywood, as you just said there, was a bit of a stretch. But other than that, I've loved all of his films. So I just think what it, this started, I, I could not give it any less than five others. No, oh, fair play. Well, let us know what you think of um, Reservoir Dogs. Are you a fan of this movie? Did you like our review? Do you think we gave it the right scores? Let us know by getting in touch at the Hyperbaric Oats on Twitter. And don't forget to join us next week as we'll be coming to you out with a movie from JT's choice. Uh, JT, what are we doing next week? Well, Bread Roll, um, we did Train Spotted and Train Spotting 2 a while back, Irvin Welsh films. And um, I don't know if you've seen this or not, but there's a film we did called Filth featuring James McAvoy and um, our old friend Jim Broadbent. Hey. Um, <laughs> exactly. And it's a film I watched a good probably i don't know how long ever long it came game ago it came out now but i watched it not long after it first came out and i hadn't seen it again for a while and it popped up on prime in that freebie thing that prime have got and i was actually working the other day obviously uh, indulging my work and i stuck it on in the background and i thought well, we need to review this so it's a film called filth um urban welsh film james mcavoy um so yeah i'm, I'm intrigued to see what you think about this because i don't know anyone else who's seen it so if, if people have seen it, then let us know. Indeed do, because I haven't, although the name kind of sounds familiar, but I don't think I have seen it. Um, so yeah, look forward to that one uh, on Prime. So yeah, that is what we're going to be bringing you next week. So make sure that um, you're tuning in for that one. Make sure to give us a follow um, and retweet us all out to your friends. And also this year as well, make sure you're sending in some recommendations for any movies that you see on the streaming site you think we should review or take a look at. Let us know and we'll crack them onto the list and we'll uh, take a look at them as and when we can. Yeah, yeah, good stuff. Yep. Um, 2023 is going to be uh, a good year for the Barrett Goats, hopefully. We've got some, uh, some good stuff coming up. Absolutely. So thank you very much for joining us. And uh, for me, Bread Roll, I am signing off. And for me, JT, I've just got one last thing to say. i got Madonna's big dick coming out of my left ear and Toby the jab, I don't know what, coming out of my right. Yeah.